Welcome to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. Each month, your host and the panel of senior practitioners take you through the stories and developments of the month in the practice of corporate public affairs across the globe. Now, to take you through the latest developments, here is your host, Wayne Burns. Welcome, colleagues, and welcome to uh, another on the couch with In Conversation. And this uh, week we have Claire Kesketh, who's acting media manager at uh, SA Water in South Australia. Um, probably the only person on our, our call today who's not in lockdown, uh, although we do have some uh, colleagues in New Zealand, uh, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Queensland with us today as well. So um, they're certainly not locked down. And uh, Darren, welcome Darren Pierce, who's the Chief Communications Officer at uh, Tennis Australia. So thanks for, for joining us today. And it's uh, good to be able to connect with our colleagues in the profession and uh, talk about issues that uh, we're dealing with on a, um, uh, a midterm and a, and a short-term basis and it's affecting the practice of uh, corporate public um, affairs. I wanted to uh, kick off uh, today um, as well as saying thank you um, for joining us is to kick off with a, a question about the pandemic, uh, which we're, we're still all in, and about hybrid work. There's been lots of conversations and there's lots of sort of what I call future porn, you know, people getting excited about what's going to be happening into the future, whether the office is dead. But we've got to a stage with the practice of corporate public affairs and with uh, workplaces where some sort of hybrid arrangement, uh, at least in the short term, seems to be realistic. I'll kick up with you, Claire, and then, uh, and Darren, please open your mic and, and contribute at any time as well. But Claire, where do you, what do you see the big issues that the, the function has to help organisations manage around um, the, the hybrid work model, and especially with lots of people working from home? I think, um, at least for our organisation, and I'm not sure how many others are in this position, leading into when COVID really became prevalent in Australia early last year, we were really well set up to essentially um, have uh, our office-based staff working from home in a matter of hours and, you know, luck I'm sure is part of it. But it was down to a lot of preparation, not that we were preparing for a pandemic, but preparing for um, just general changes in how people work and providing more flexibility. So we have things people might call it hot desking, um, but a bit buzzword around here is activity-based working. So really it's, you know, you can go anywhere with your laptop and and maybe a headset um, and, and your mobile and you're set to go working from wherever wherever you can, wherever you might find yourself. I will just say that is um, only about half of our workforce that applies to. And I think you made a good point. It is really difficult for some organisations. We really have to be mindful that there's a lot of people who, who don't work in an office and remote working is not a thing for them because either they remote work all the time. We have people literally out fixing pipes, um, people who need to operate our control centre, which manages all the, the water and the wastewater networks around the state. But I think really what organisations should be thinking about is is their people. Not There's not going to be a one-size-fits-all model. It's It's something which you need to engage your people on and find out what works for them and then understand that that's not going to be the model that is the forever model. Things change um, and and people change, so it's just about keeping in contact with your employees and then being being flexible and, and agile around the, the, the working environment. Darren, uh, you've got, I understand, 9,000 um, employees around the Australian Open who will be 
in and out of the Melbourne complex. Uh, is it no jab, no work? Is that one of the issues that, that your organisation, but, but, but generally all organisations have to think about? We had SPC in Australia uh, last week coming out and saying it's definitely no jab, uh, no work for their employees uh, in, in their canneries and in their head office operations also. We, we haven't uh, firmed up on a blanket rule like SPC. In fact, not going to lie, we're actually watching that very closely and watching what the regulators do, what the government does in regard to that union reaction the whole bit. What I would say is we will be recommending for, for certain staff in certain areas where they're coming into contact with when we put on an Australian Open with international visitors and then also how that pertains to our, our own rules on community safety and what what regulations we put around that and what we eventually agree upon with, with state government. So that's something we've got to work through. Um, and I can't pretend we've nailed it yet. Uh, so it's a very close watch. And I presume like a lot of people are watching that a lot of the discussions are predicated on if and when we reach 70%, 80%, plan B, plan C, sorry, phase B, phase C in the, in the overall plan. So I think that's something we've just got to keep an eye and keep working through and part of what we do is obviously got to watch what the international conditions are like as well so we have the player piece coming in and what rules they'll need to abide by but and then similarly then how that impacts our, our workforce as well I should just clear up that 9,000 is a uh, seasonal workforce in a sport we hire we have about 500 permanent but we yeah we bring in that other 9,000 to get through the summer of tennis. It's a, it's, it's a big number. As a, another uh, issue uh, for, for both of you, of late, um, uh, cybersecurity and uh, ransomware has become a, quite a big issue for big corporations who have big workforces working from home or working remotely. Do, do you see that uh, just from a corporate affairs issues management point of view is, as something that organisations may need to be focusing on a little bit more, Claire? I mean, I think they should be focusing on that all of the time. Um, every organisation, I'm sure they do have a, a dedicated information technology area and I can speak from a government agency point of view. At, you know, We have customer data, customer information that really does need to be protected. Um, I'm sure that... Uh, a few IT teams went into a bit of a, a panic when that when COVID started. They're monitoring normally just one network with, within the building, and then all of a sudden they may have people um, working at various spots, you know, around around the city, around the state, where it's multiple networks. If, if we're realistic about it, and even though there may be something which is centrally controlled, it is something that if it wasn't already in their minds, I feel needs to be. And we're just lucky, I think that. That is almost the, the core focus of, of IT areas. So they would, I would think, already be thinking ahead um, into things like that. I would endorse that. I was just going to say, Wayne, the, the customer data, same for Claire and same for a lot of organisations, is just your your bread and butter these days. And for several years, organisations have been doing what you do when you protect your bread and butter and really ramping up on those systems and, and processes. So if that hasn't been done, then... It, better hurry up because it's been a phase of I would say at least four or five years of really being very clear on that and we just have to look at what happened with the the nine network recently when and all the problems they went through as a result and they'd moved into brand new headquarters and all these wonderful new gear and equipment and would literally reduce 
colleagues I know working off, you know, with stopwatches, pens and paper to do a time out a news rundown, which is the sort of style that used to happen in the 80s. <laughs> so I, 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 I yeah. won't let it be said that not having the uh, nine morning news was probably a community service, but uh, uh, as, as, as some have said, but it's interesting, isn't it? The even very large corporations and, and uh, you're in the infrastructure business as well, Claire, especially in the US, you've now got their uh, business insurance companies are saying, if you don't meet minimum cyber security standards, we're not insuring you against any events. So it's become a material issue for many uh, listed and large organisations as well. So thank you for that. You're listening to In Conversation. We're a 30-minute regular webinar and podcast of the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. Uh, vaccinations, vaccination of a nation, um, uh, whether in, you're in uh, Hong Kong or Singapore or Australia or New Zealand at the moment, um, that's, the, that's the chatter. Um, do you think it's going to be a tricky issue for, we, we talked about no jab, um, uh, no work, but do you think it's going to be um, a tricky issue for organisations navigating over the next probably six to 12 months in terms of number one, industrial relations, um, what's legal, um, what's illegal. Um, um, you had the Australian New Zealand Prime Ministers only saying this week, well, it's really up to uh, businesses to decide what they want to do in terms of uh, uh, vaccination rates. Uh, some companies, some of the professional services firms, the, the big four accounting firms, um, a couple are requiring uh, tests, daily tests, um, uh, before their employees can enter the workplace. This, this seems like a bit of a, an issue soup going forward, Claire. Oh, I mean, tricky is an understatement. I feel it's it's been tricky up till now and it will continue to be. I think um, you made a good point and, and I feel like I read it, I would say in the Fairwick Ombudsman information that came out late last week around just really some advice and, and, and guidance for what organisations can do in this space. There was arguments around it shouldn't just be up to the business. Um, you know, you need to bring the, the health agency in. There needs to be the direction of whatever the state government or um, the relevant government authority. And I think that's the point. It's all of those those groups that really need to feed into to to what the advice to employees needs to be. The business knows its people best. The health agencies know the health situation the best. And then you've got the overarching state or federal government that gives that sort of um, that main direction. I, I would say we're definitely not at a point where I think across the board it can be no jab, no work with the vaccination rollout. I mean, even for myself in, in South Australia today, today's the first day that um, people between 16 and 40 can can get vaccinated or get get the Pfizer, um, which is great. And I know a lot of my friends have been going online, frantically clicking, trying to trying to get their their clinic spot. Um, but what what businesses I feel can do in the meantime is to make it easy, make it not difficult for their people to one get vaccinated and two um, actually have uh, information at their at their fingertips to understand more about. Um, both COVID and the vaccination and then everything from where they can go to who's eligible um, and also, I guess, an, as an indirect incentive, providing people um, that not the time off but they can go get vaccinated within work time um, and they're not going to get penalised. And if they do have side effects, which is, you know, we've, we've seen does happen to some people, but also they can you know take specialised time off and it's not going to affect their work and they, they shouldn't feel that they need to take time out of their work day and then, you know, get behind in their, in their workload just to get vaccinated. 
and Darren as well as well as Nick Curios and um, uh, to deal with and to manage uh, issues around him, for example, next year. Um, if you have nine thousand um, uh, a, a seasonal workforce of nine thousand, um, it's it's going to be a very tricky balance. Um, and I know not you're speaking on behalf of your organisation, but that's the type of logistical and and uh, industrial relations and health issues that um, usually aren't part of business as usual. Oh, 100% right. I think I couldn't, I'm just nodding to what Claire was saying. I, I think right now in the phase we're in, it's all about providing every opportunity to remove, to remove obstacles for those who are choosing to vaccinate. I think everyone on this call is well aware of the challenges this country's had on the supply side and then the confusion and then the... The, the conflicting medical advice around the various types of vaccination, which has put us off to a very slow start. And right now all we can do, I think, as businesses is provide the information and, and the opportunity. I don't think the community, personal view here, I don't think the community is ready yet um, for the compulsory nature. And I, I think we watch our politicians with great interest as that. They're the great readers of the 51%. Um, but if things continue to worsen, watch the needle move. But, but right now, for, for our business purposes, it's just to be about providing the information and the opportunity and doing what we can for those who want to, to make sure they can vaccinate. Well, let's hope the needle doesn't move too much while we're sitting in the, in the chair. That could be quite painful indeed. Uh, just talking a little bit now about uh, the woke corporation. There's been a fair bit of commentary over the past six months that are some corporations coming a little bit too woke and what does that mean? It, it, it's often a derisive term, isn't it, for corporations who publicly embrace and advocate around issues uh, such as uh, gender justice and equality, uh, Black Lives Matters, um, uh, Me Too, uh, but also organisations, um, and, and I guess it's probably bigger in the in the US than it is here in, in Australia at the moment around uh, access to being able to, to vote, uh, voting rights uh, as well. But uh, especially around um, what happened to Ms Brittany Higgins in, in, in Parliament House and that, that whole um, issue about gender injustice, uh, a fair few companies have come out and um, that you wouldn't expect to be on the radar um, and have said, well, you know, we take a stand on this because our employees care about it, um, our broader stakeholders care about it, our customers care about it. Uh, Claire, is there, is there a fine line? I mean, we, we had one cabinet minister during the marriage equality debate in Australia stand up in parliament and tell um, uh, CEOs to stick to their knitting and not to uh, do any advocacy, um, yes or no, around the marriage uh, equality, uh, you know, paper survey um, that we're all, um, you know, encouraged to participate in. Uh, what, what, what's your view? Uh, is there a tipping point here? Um, should corporations stick to their knitting and, you know, just deliver their services and leave it at that? Uh, are, are our companies becoming far too woke for their own good? Um, I feel in 2021 companies need to think way beyond what their um, basic services are. I'm sorry, I keep going back to SA Water. It's, it's, it's my life. I, I live it over here. So we've been around for 165 years, started out as an engineering business. No way is that just what we are now. 
customers' expectations change, the community and, and, and what they want and how they want it, you know, everything from engage with us to how quickly they want things to happen have changed enormously. I feel you're right, it is a, it is a fine line and there can be um, situations where companies, uh, it, you know, it may not fit the, the topic that they are advocating about or that they're talking about on social media. But I think in, in the right context, and it needs to be something um, that's tangible and, and important to their people, it needs to be backed up by, by meaningful action. You know, I'm not interested in, and I think some of the examples that we've seen are when a company just changes their logo to, you know, the rainbow version of their logo. But then what actually goes on along with that? It can't be tokenistic. It really needs to be brought back to what your people care about. And you, and you mentioned it there, really. There might be some companies where it seems surprising that they're talking about a particular issue. But if there's something, this is a topic which which affects their people. And a lot of these things, um, you could say, really affect uh, if you have a large organisation, there could be at least a couple of people or a group of people that that this relates to. But it, I think the examples I can give um, from an SA Water point of view, um, and this is a, a water industry-wide uh, thing that's happening, there's an organisation or a, sort of a collective um, that's called um, Pride in Water, and it's all to do with advocacy and support and really just uh, a network of um, of people and their and their allies that belong to LGBTIQ plus community. And that was started by two people who work for Yarra Valley Water in Victoria. It wasn't something that the water industry was like, here you go, like, you know, this is this is just a, a logo we've made up and 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 that's it. Like here's a website. There's nothing actually behind it. That's really no matter what the issue, there needs to be something which makes sense to your people, which makes sense to your business, and you're and you're delivering on whatever what whatever that is. I, I think companies um, uh, they do have a role to play. If if you're a large company, you have that platform. You have a social media presence that a lot of people are following, or you have you know, a large number of customers um, that you engage with. So you have a role to play and you have a duty in, in some situations to actually to be part of that conversation. Uh, how's your welcome meter there, Darren? Yeah, I wasn't sure I wanted to do this question. Um, <laughs> thanks, Mike. Yeah, I, again, concur with Claire. I think the, the really interesting thing is if you don't get it right, um, it actually is a really poor business decision and can cost you the best talent and and your whole corporate brand can impact on on how you develop your talent and and that team so it it comes back to being to knowing what your team your staff uh, want and it's values based decisions that that you make and it does start very much within so similar to that story so to start from your valley water doing that then if they're acting in isolation and no one else picks up and there's the other 99.98 percent of the staff were totally opposed to that it wouldn't happen um the fact is that it was it was how the general view of this of the staff and that organization so the values-based stuff is really clear for us and i'm sure i could guess the one you're referencing i'm going to avoid it for us the it's the pond in which we swim as well it's as not as important, but it is it is still vital that view of of our marketplace and making sure that you are connected with that as well. And for us, obviously, in the sporting and entertainment business and in the tennis environments, that playing group and making sure we're connected with what is largely a group of um, elite athletes aged between sort of 
18 and 35 with the obvious couple of exceptions. One guy in Switzerland has just done his knee this morning, which yeah. is very yeah. Um, yeah. So making sure we're connected with that viewpoint because that's our that's our brand in there. That's our product. Um, but it's not an easy one and it's constantly shifting. I, I would say I, I do get bemused by politicians who say, you know, stick to your knitting and pretending that politics is just the domain of the of the political party when it never really has been, as I think everyone on this call knows. And um, it's just that's more admission of, wow, your advocacy is really strong. <laughs> Can you get out of this argument? Um, I think it's a it's a daily challenge and, and all I'd say is you've got to stay right in tune with the sentiment both of your own staff and your own marketplace. You are listening to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs a membership-based organisation comprising companies, industry associations and government departments across Asia-Pacific. The centre works with its members and other entities to apply best practice to extend their social licence to operate. The centre develops and delivers executive education globally, conducts research and provides specialist consulting services. Now, back to your host of this episode of In Conversation. Uh, it's interesting when uh, you make that point, uh, Darren and Claire. Too, the um, I think the interesting um, thing is that uh, a lot of politicians would say stick to your knitting, but then they want your corporate donation at the time of an election. So they do want you involved when you're writing a check. Um, just to <clears throat> just to drill down into that a little bit uh, further, uh, Darren, uh, City, um, you know, Citibank, Citigroup. <clears throat> they have now developed five criteria, which the, every time a large group of employees or um, a significant number of external stakeholders saying you should get involved in this issue because it's important to their business, um, they have five criteria. And it's um, it's published. It's, you, you can find the criteria on the centre website if you just um, search city. But the criteria includes um, how is it relevant to our business? So they're going to ask that question. Um, um, uh, what will be the impact of our business of being involved? Um, who's involved already? Um, what will be the impact of us not being involved is, uh, is one of the five. And that's really interesting. Um, this first mover advantage in all of this or disadvantage. Well, that, doesn't that give you a great um, advantage when you're looking to, if you go to recruit graduates or even senior executives who know that you're going to be enabled? Uh, in that regard, and you won't have these these strict lines drawn either side and there your parameters, and don't step outside that. We talk like this, we do business like this, but we live like this. So I think there's a lot of progress being made, and when you get that right, and it's a really interesting way to do it, I think it is a very smart business. Yeah, uh, and this is a I guess a far more interesting, but also complex environment for, in corporate uh, public affairs that uh, we're seeing at the moment. It's been fantastic time to be in the profession. We've got uh, got these big issues that our organisations need socio-political insight, advice, and and decision makers at the decision making uh, table to to help navigate. Well, I think we've all yeah, I think we've all come to the table or to the boss or to the board or or whatever and wanted to sort of show, wow, look at these media reports, look at this social media, look where the, the general view is going. Can someone do something about this? And this is just another another way of empowerment, I think, that when, wow, our, our staff feel very strongly about this, we need to address this. And I think that's a great thing. 
yeah, it's a it's an interesting environment. Uh, Claire, just just wondering, um, you don't have to comment on the, the particular case, but Sky News was booted off YouTube um, uh, for a week, and uh, some of its content was uh, removed um, uh, around alleged, or well, allegedly around uh, misinformation from some of the Sky uh, News After Dark team um, uh, around vaccinations and around COVID primarily, uh, but. Getting up at the balcony and looking at the bigger issue around our freedom of speech and freedom of expression, do organisations, social media platforms um, have the rights that traditional media has done for many years, um, like newspapers um, and televisions, of um, refusing uh, uh, platforms to to people because of um, their views and opinions? Are we going a little bit too far here now social media platforms you know they're, they're self-regulatory but is that an abuse of freedom of speech of of organizations and social media platforms especially the newspaper groups have been doing this for years um denying voice to uh individuals or groups who may be outside the mainstream and, and who, who probably find uh many people disagree with their views so i think um when I was speaking about this topic and, and that story with some of my colleagues, one of the main things that came up, which I hadn't thought about prior to having a conversation with with, with them, was have the, the legislative requirements around this space actually caught up with, with what's happening now? So do we, for example, consider Google or YouTube a broadcaster and therefore do what they do? Should, should, should they be adhering to the same journalistic principles that you know, an ABC, a Channel Nine, a Sky News, that you know, the Australian, whatever, are also having to to work towards. And I think that's that. I'm I'm not sure that that we're in that space yet. It's it's a really interesting question. I mean, what is the social responsibility of of these big tech giants that are still putting out news, putting out information, and then the I guess the lines blurred even further when we have widespread. Um, what you call citizen journalism these days, where anybody who's putting information out on the internet, it, you know, is is that news? There's also the blurred line between news and opinion. I feel what what applies to the individual to put on social media and and um, what surrounds that, whether they're talking about COVID and and they're putting out misinformation, which can be quite dangerous, really, um, when we're talking about people's health. Um, everything to um, uh, Another topic I think that came out, um, I mean, there's so many that people can talk about. I mean, if I talk about in in our um, organisation's context, we provide drinking water to people. If people don't have trust that their drinking water is safe because of um, comments that are out there um, from just, you know, regular people with no scientific or or technical background, that can be really dangerous. So I think it's it's a topic that um, maybe the, the law needs to catch up with and there needs to be some sort of um, agreed agreed way of, of managing it. That's a good point. And uh, some companies like Google and uh, Facebook um, won't say what they are. They won't say if they're a social media platform or an advertising platform or uh, whether they're um, an aggregator of news. Uh, all of that has tax implications. So it's very difficult from those organisations often, um, even if you read their purpose, their mission and their annual reports, actually what they are. And there's a reason uh, often for that. And, and it's a valid reason if you look at issues framing and regulation as well. What, what's your view, Darren? Uh, um, oh. 
free speech versus, you know, cancelling um, uh, or, or removing content from platforms because they're controversial or they're misleading? Well, I, I, the conversation about freedom of speech always talks about, yeah, free speech, it's everyone's right, but free speech without consequence is no one's right. Um, I think one of the challenges here has been the globalisation of audience, so let's not pretend these companies don't look for the port to land their jurisdiction to get the most control and power they can have because that as well as where you pay your tax and all those sorts of things that go on but this this is a this is a topic that goes so far back it outdates all of us governments once had a right to actually withdraw um, stories from newspapers in in times of war and that sort of thing and we saw a an example in Washington obviously of, of what it can lead to if it goes unchecked and uh, the issue is so serious to me, whether it's around water quality, you look at now how health has become so confusing and the, the expertise is questioned and, and brought down. And you can get even into situations where professional journalists, yes, they are such a thing, and I'll fess up it was one, probably a lot of people on the call, similar backgrounds, you have obligations and you have ethics and you have a code and the clearest example I can think of to talk about is when you report on or not on matters of suicide as an example it's very strictly adhered to whereas what I can jump on social media and and do what I like can I shouldn't I so to Claire's point the legislators globally have to catch up with that and that's a real challenge uh, which we can only fortify our own market and see what we can do and all that and that comes with a lot of pressure from those social media giants, which we saw even with the traditional media, but somewhere we've got to get the balance right because where, where, social media is media and citizen journos, journos are putting information out there. There has to be some form of regulation for the protection of the greater good because we're, we're getting just rolling examples of where it doesn't, it, it's not working. Yeah, it's interesting if if, uh, if you think of it, uh, everyone with a social media account is a um, a self publisher. Um, they are publishing, and to go to your point, Darren, we probably forget that last year the Australian Federal Police, or for two years actually, um, were investigating uh, two journalists, one from the uh, one from the ABC and one from News Limited, uh, in relation to where they uh, who their sources were, um, uh, in relation to a, uh, a legal action which really who their sources are had no impact on, on the legal action, but the federal police were involved and were searching journalists' properties and uh, and securing newsrooms looking for information. So it's um, it's not only in the US, it's uh, here in, in Australia with freedom of the, the, the press and free speech. And this is, this is uh, increasingly an, an issue related to what we're talking about before is companies having a view when advocating as well and uh, their freedom uh, to do so. Very interesting time. We're up against the clock now. It's uh, on midday. Uh, Darren Pierce, Claire Heskett, thank you very much for joining us for In Conversation. Thank you, everyone, who tuned in for the last 30 minutes. This will be published as a podcast next week as well, if you'd like to share it with your colleagues or uh, come back to it. But we appreciate you being here. Uh, the scores of uh, organisations and people on the call, and we appreciate taking your time out of uh your um, Monday to join us. So um, join us again next time. Uh, watch out for uh, our, uh, our marketing material um, uh, for our next uh, 
webinar and podcast. And again, uh, stay safe and we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In Conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for more at the Centre's Very Public Affairs podcast show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more information about best practice public affairs, visit the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs at www.accpa.com.au.